Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Welcome to Hoovering, the podcast about eating. I'm Jessica Fosterkew. I love eating as much as anything else in the world, but also it sometimes brings me conflict, shame, and all sorts of other things that are rubbish. It's complicated and I think fascinating. This is a conversation with an interesting soul, not just about food, but about gobbling it up, or if you will, hoovering. Well, this is a bit of a special one, if I don't say so myself. I am hoovering today with none other than chef, food writer, writer, and God in my house and heart, Anna Jones. I know, I fucking love this job. (laughs) Uh, Before we get into it, I want to say immediately that you need to get her latest book, One. The long title is One Pot Pan Planet. It's an absolute treasure chest. Anna's recipes are an essential in my house, as essential as bread and water and eggs and all that. Get this new one, please. Also, she's got a new cooking course out. More details later. First, in really fucking exciting news, you know my hoovering live show in Soho on the 17th of July at 5pm as part of the Underbelly Festival that I go on about every single week? Well, I've announced my second and final guest, and it's fucking... Jay Rayner! <laughs> Get in! So, I mean, my guests are Joe Brand and Jay Rayner. How can anyone not come to that? We are going to eat Soho and talk all the eat talkings live. Get a ticket quick. Even my fucking mum is coming. So, that's what a big ass deal it is. Come. Links uh, to everything I have just spoken about there, all of Anna's business and the hoovering live that's all as ever in the podcast notes which should be alongside wherever you got this podcast from and anything I put in capitals in those notes means it's a link so you can easily link to everything I just said thanks for listening to the podcast please tell other people about it you can support it with cash if you want try going to patreon.com forward slash the hoovering pod and you'll see what excellent things I'll swap in exchange for your hard-earned wedge including discount tickets to live shows including I've said including twice the live show I've just wanged on about above. Okay, so in this episode, Anna and I are hoovering over the Zooms for ease. I've got a brew, uh, just a traditional builder's tea, and a piece of less traditional and quite exquisite double ginger and apple cake, which I made from Anna's recipe, which I'd actually made the night before. So there was already, accidentally, there was already barely any left. Sorry, it was too yummy. I was having one of the last cubes of it. Right, so officially massive thanks for doing this. Um, I love your work. It would be boring if it's just an hour of me brown-nosing, but I think you're Aww. fucking brilliant. And, um, oh, thank well, you. All your books, but that Modern Way to Cook, I'd say, is probably, like, and this I mean, this is the highest compliment, probably the most filthy, thumbed, <laughs> food gack smattered book in my recipe book well that is the aim that is the main yeah. aim for a cookbook is for it to get as filthy and as crappy and as dirty yeah. as possible so and i would yeah. say as well like it feels like a real bonding moment whenever you meet a, a new friend or like a colleague that you're getting to know or whatever and then you find out that one of the things they cook 
every week, even if there's only one thing they make every week, it's one of your things. Ah. Bit of kale and spaghetti. Oh, yeah. It's a real friend finder. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, I heard someone angry t- angrily tweeting about that recipe yesterday actually saying what is what is one pot pastas they're just terrible what is the big deal um so yeah i know it's not it's not it's not a universal crowd pleaser oh, it's, <laughs> isn't it fascinating the stuff that people can find to get angry about i know how can you get angry about also one pot what pasta? there's not to like about putting all your dinner in one pot <laughs> turning it on and getting to fuck off for a bit like i don't that, whoever's angry about that has got so much time that's boggling isn't it i know i know yeah. it is wild it is wild good what old people twitter get angry about on twitter love it I um I tweeted a joke yesterday that my shampoo bar had lasted for a freakishly long time, and um, I expected to get a bit of shit about not washing my hair often enough, <laughs> but um, I ended up just sort of being embroiled in eight hundred people's conversations about their shampoo bars. I thought, Guys, you're still tagging me in. <laughs> it wasn't the shampoo bar; it was the comedy bit I was going for. <laughs> sort of, yeah, if I've had to explain it, it's not a very efficient joke. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I've got I've got a cup of tea, and I've also made last night your from your new book one the um, oh. double ginger and apple cake, oh, and I wanted to tip you. it up and show you it before I start eating it because I wanted to yes. check if I've done my Hasselback apples right. You've done your pass. You've Hasselback the hell out of those apples. You really have. They are what? Uh, that is a very fun way to prepare an apple. <laughs> I find apple preparation tiresome, like the coring and the peeling and all that, but that. They're just sort of going three quarters of the way through, and this, and I let my son help me with all the other prep of the cake until it got to that bit, and then I went, no, then get I was away. Like, no, this is for me. This is for me. Nicely. The yeah. final work is mine. Um, yeah. yeah, no, it is. It is actually. It's. It is great. You basically finely slice it, don't you, in the top of the apple, yeah. and then um, yeah, it just cooks really evenly. I actually that was that was, and I have I have. You held my hands up. I, I, I pinched that off a brilliant friend of mine, Anya Dunk, who is a wonderful German chef. I think it's a oh. German. It's a German vibe. Is you know, it? the German Germans love love an apple cake. So, yeah, yeah, it's true. It is. Yeah, mm. or just European generally. And I just wanted mm. to show you the absolute state of this because I did make it yesterday late afternoon, and um, normally we don't get through cakes that fast in this house. And, but look at that. It's absolutely been almost half smashed before I even did the podcast. I was worried it went down so well. <laughs> There's only two adults and one five-year-old in this house, and half of it's gone. If we had it, that's before, exactly the same as our house. We're two yeah. adults and a five-year-old, but yeah, cake oh, is what gets eaten the most. Oh, yeah, vegetables last a very long time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh. I've never had an apple and ginger cake like this. It's absolutely delish. Uh, uh, it's like, I think it's a, well, like you said, big old chunky old apples, but they don't, they're effortless to eat. They've all dissolved in, <laughs> cooked all the way through. But that dark, dark sugar, it's always, when you use the golden sugar, it gets all caramelly, but this is like a level up, isn't it? It's so treacly, inky. Yeah, it's it's got kind of like a sort of deep, it's a bit like a sort of mixture, I guess, between an apple cake and that really delicious kind of Jamaica ginger cake, you know, that's yes. really dark and treacly yeah. and stem gingery. That was kind of like, I guess, what was going on in my head when I... Oh when I was sort of, yeah, making well, it. So I've absolutely yeah, I'm, yeah, I, I wish I wanted to make something this morning, but um, my son decided uh, that that was not going to be part of the plan. Oh, okay. <laughs> absolutely fair play. Oh, how funny yeah, we've got five year old sons. That's interesting. Yeah. We had a lot of persuasion to get him out of the house this morning. So yeah. uh, no, use, use my, use my absolute best techniques, um, including uh, essentially, 10 different bribes. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> 10 different rods for my 10 different yeah. backs. And yeah, no promises, load of threats. That's my parenting too. Exactly. Yeah. And I have a, an appointment to watch Winnie the Pooh on the sofa with some popcorn when he gets home from school. Okay. That was that, That's the main bribe, right. so... Oh, lovely. Yeah. I've just got a to-do <laughs> list for my son. I've just made one for when he gets... We've got to do a birthday video for Jacob. We've got to do a Father's Day card. Yeah poor thing um <laughs> as if as if reception year wasn't hard enough 
Mmm, delicious. I want to talk about this new book, One. Um, I, I wonder if perhaps even in how it's structured and ordered, if it's a bit of a departure from or a better way of putting it is maybe like an evolution from your previous work. I feel like maybe there's a bit more focus in it on um, sort of the planet, maybe. Is that a good general way of putting it? Yeah, Waste definitely. Reduction yeah. and packaging reduction and stuff like that is that what's happened and and why and how yeah I guess that is what's happened so I guess my first this is my fourth book so my first two books I guess um felt a bit like I was trying to persuade people that eating vegetarian food was actually like a fun and nice thing to do um (laughs) because I think in this country um for lots of people obviously we have you know a myriad of different different you know people and cultures in this country and I absolutely acknowledge that lots of these cultures have ancient vegetarian traditions so I'm not kind of including them in that but I think the sort of definitely the restaurant scene was a bit kind of like hemp trouser mung bean lots of brightly painted walls which I'm absolutely here for I love those cafes Um, (laughs) but it wasn't everyone's cup of tea so I think my first couple of books I was just sort of you know trying to bring you know food made of vegetables um to kind of center stage and and persuade people that it had a place at the table just as any other type of food does and it's you know as vibrant and as delicious but I guess as you know I've sort of written more recipes and you know I guess grown up um (laughs) uh to an almost adult now at the age of 42 um I I I really thought that like it's uh, I I thought that firstly the people who've been on this sort of like road with me and have bought my books and have cooked my recipes and have been really kind over the years um I felt like they all wanted a bit more to know a bit more about, you know, if they they were on board with eating veg, um, you know, all the time or a couple of nights a week, but they also like wanted to know a bit more about how they can extend that into Mm. the rest of their buying, storing, cooking, eating. Um, And I think, you know, I I went to an Extinction Rebellion talk a good few years ago and it was the most petrifying hour of my life yeah it was it was they were it was a brilliant talk because it scared the shit out of everyone um and it was really real with the figures um it was really real with you know the you know possible scenarios that we might face and I sort of you know, having had, you know, having been connected with that for, for, you know, with the sort of sustainability conversation for a very long time, I was like, you know what, like, actually, this isn't, this now isn't something that's just like, and like, if you'd like to, yeah. if you mind, it's more like, if you can, if you've got the privilege, you yeah. need to do this. And I think that's been sort of the change of pace with this book and the change of kind of language and why you know, it's woven into the recipe book in a much more deliberate way. That's very cool. Yeah, it is. I, I feel like it's, um, God, it's fascinating, really. I, uh, there's, um, I feel like our generation, like you say, have just become increasingly like grown up and enlightened about this, just in, le- in line with how much more we're learning about how there's so many of us. So you can't think, that individualistically about you can't be like well well what, what imprint does how I behave have on mm, mm. you know the future of the planet but equally um as much as our generation are sort of increasingly on it with that it's sort of I have felt historically more up against it with my parents generation but I think there's a lot of pressure really on on you guys because in recent years with I guess with the rise of celebrity generally but especially in terms of like I feel like the sway that food makers chefs and food writers have oh Mm. people influential in food are really actually sort of changing the curve and now I think it's suddenly become a much easier conversation to have for example with my mum about it's gone from a decade ago being like really getting snooty response even to recycling a bit right yeah, through yeah, yeah. to being like her having an enormous 
totally plant-based cooking repertoire because, you know, probably two-thirds of my generation are either vegan or vegetarian or flexitarian or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's moving so fast. And I think that's a lot of that does come down to the work that influential people like you are doing by acknowledging it. And I suppose or not highlighting it and then also making, I think making people realize as well, it's, it's not, doesn't have to be that hard to make some changes that if everybody did, it would make a massive impact. Yeah. Well, I think that's it. I think lots, I think, you know, there's so much guilt, isn't there around, well, Mm. in general around food, which I, absolutely hate I just don't think food and guilt should ever be anywhere near each other um but also around sort of food and sustainability and so you know there's guilt food guilt the sustainability guilt so when you try and think about sustainable food there's almost like a double layer of you know that and I think we all you know as humans we sort of have a tendency towards perfectionism don't we so like it's it's all about I, I I think so we all think we've got to be doing it all. You know, we've got to be like, you know, taking the coffee cups, using the water bottles, not wasting the stuff, you know, making sure all of our appliances are eco, you know, all of these things. And, you know, individually, they are easy things to do. But, you know, collectively, it feels like, you know, we've got to be these perfect specimens. And actually, I think what I realise in the book is it's not about that. There are, yeah. It's about doing the things that you can do in your position with your family on your budget um and actually lots of the things i realized you know because i think also the sustainability conversation is often framed with you know this thing about it being quite elitist about it Mm -hmm. you know being farmers markets biodynamic growers all of that stuff which obviously there's there's a big chunk of the conversation around kind of soil and our the health of our soil and yeah. you know and, and 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 future harvest that is really important and involves those farmers and growers but lots of the things like you know the the you know cooking in one pot for instance so you're yeah. not turning on like you know two ovens a hob a food processor and whatever else you know that's saving everyone money and yeah. um so I, I think it's important you know for me it was it was it was quite interesting to discover that a lot of these changes are like you know, they are applicable to everyone. They are going to actually save everyone money. Um, well, not just money, time, I yeah, think. I feel yeah. like all the one tray, one pot stuff has always been flogged very successfully to people on the basis that, yeah, you stick it all in one place and it gets yeah. gone away. Maybe yeah, well, it is. once it's, or twice. It's, like, yes, it's please. the effort we put yeah. in, yeah. And I think before I had my son, I had very little... You know, I think I was, you know, as a lot of chefs can be, a little bit kind of like, I mean, how hard it is to, how hard is it to make a bechamel? You know, it only takes five <laughs> minutes. Um, and you know, those really like, but, yeah, it's it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. But now I'm literally like, well, I'm not making a bechamel any night of the yeah. week. I, I want, I'm cooking, you know, with an immediacy. Yes. Um, but I think if we can hit that point between like the food tasting, absolutely great and it being quick and immediate then that's when i think more people are gonna eat more vegetables and we're going to be further down hopefully you know we're going to have joyful connecting lovely food but we're going to be also a few steps further down the road you know back down the road towards towards the good place in terms of the planet yeah back down the road get back down the road get back down the road guys um was anything in this book did was it any of it sort of influenced of your by your experience of the pandemic? I think um, I say that I think because now we've had a chance for a little bit of perspective, and the world has opened back up for me anyway at a sort of t- mildly overwhelming and terrifying pace. Yeah. But, um, and I already miss the things Same I'm thinking about yeah. all the time. Um, uh, so sick of washing up, and now I am. Um, and now I'm like, oh God, I hope this, I hope I can cook a few times this week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Yeah. I felt like one thing already with the tiny bit of hindsight, if we are hopefully, fingers crossed at time of speaking on our way out of this, um, is I loved having the headspace to look at what I had in and use it all up. That felt like a real pandemic mm. revelation. It's something mm. I always thought I was doing, but yeah. actually I was sort of quietly 
hoarding yeah, more yeah. and more yeah. items. More and more dried butter beans. Yes, <laughs> so many dried mung beans, haricot beans. So many things with an elastic band that came around a parcel wrapped around. Yeah, I mean, we've got a lot of elastic bands. Um, But yeah, I think um, it is that kind of like connection with our homes that I think we didn't really have before. Even as someone who cooks a lot and is in my kitchen a lot, I was still quite often kind of like, you know, whizzing through the door at, you know, whatever, 5.30, 6 o'clock or later. And then, you know thinking that I had a handle on exactly what was in my house, but I was away from it so much. I didn't. And yeah. I think it was that time of like being in your home, cooking, you know, your breakfast, your lunch and your dinner yeah. and really having that connection with what is in your fridge and what is, you know, in your cupboard. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's how I remember cooking as a chef, you know, when the first thing you did as a chef in a kitchen is go into like a big walk-in fridge and rotate the veg, you know, yeah. like clean everything up, make sure, you know, what, what needs to be used that day is at the front, you know, tidy up all the orders, put that in. So, you know, I think that we'd maybe sort of lost that, that connection a bit. So I think for me, definitely, I felt that as well. I felt like I was, I also, I, I feel like for, for me, food already obviously held like a great value for me. It's what I do. It's, yeah. you know, how I pay my mortgage. It's all of those things. But I, I think, you know, that point of like not having flour, not having eggs, mm-hmm. I don't think I ever imagined in my lifetime that there would be a point where that would, well, none of us ever imagined any of no, this. Absolutely. me neither. And I know it Weirdness. comes from a place of privilege, but it was like, I found it abject terrifying like, yeah I was like, oh, okay well I, th- I think those of us who have lived you know you know with the privilege of, of, of food on their plates you know every day it, it yeah. felt it, it I think it sort of for me pulled focus on like the how delicate like our food system is and how many you know transactions humans people you know bits it takes to get food onto our plates yeah. and um you know i i think from speaking to lots of friends i think other people had that perspective as well and definitely i think it put a value on food in a way that perhaps as a generation we haven't really haven't really felt before you know we yeah. haven't been in our kitchens we haven't been you know cooking three times a day and you know i you know I really hope that, you know, some of this is going to stick around, that some of this is going to be kind of remembered in our sort of, you know, food and cooking muscle memory. Um, But yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, I I think it's just. And and, and I think it actually made, you know, almost everyone I know, including people like my cousin who, was just like she's she's pretty bougie she's like out for lunch and dinner like you know every day um and you know sort of almost with a badge of pride you know wore this thing of like oh I don't really cook you know I'm just like flitting around town and you know all of a sudden she was cooking every every meal and you know I think she fell in love with it and I think that's going to have happened hopefully you know, for lots of people, not necessarily the sourdough or the banana bread craze. I'm sure those won't stick around, but the actual ability just to like cook our dinner, which seems yeah. basic, doesn't it? I know, yeah. And I hope, I think that's the most optimistic way of looking at it as well in the sense that like, I hope those households where it was one person that was always cooking for everyone, I hope someone else went, I'll have a go. Yeah, you know, we, yeah. had a, we had long enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, in my household, that didn't happen so much. Okay, cool, 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 cool. But actually, my husband's amazing. John, he cooks a lot, um, but we actually did the first bit of the pandemic, the kind of really, you know, sort of strict and, and yeah. slightly terrifying part um, with my mum and dad. Right. Because our house had just been basically demolished, which was useful. Um, <laughs> so we went and stayed with them, which was actually amazing because having four people as part of the conversation rather than two adults felt like, you know, it was nice to have a couple of yeah. extras. Um, That's uh, more but of a yeah. boardroom, I like yeah. it. Yeah, but my mum and dad definitely. I thought I thought we'd do a sort of rotor of cooking and blah, 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 <laughs> but no, it didn't happen. No. And I was going to say, <laughs> as I was telling you that that was my hope for what had happened to most households, I thought, I 
I do most of the cooking in this house, but I really sort of doubled down on the um, sort of real tightening the grip of control, actually. I really didn't want to relinquish. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't really let anyone else get much of a look in, actually. I thought I really was like, I really became my mum, actually. And if I, so if I visit my mum and uh, I'll be like, can I cook one night? She'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'd love that. And then she'll be like, so what, and then she'll tell me exactly what to cook, exactly what I've got to use and exactly how and when. And then she'll sort of watch me doing it like that. So... Actually, I've just become her, and that's what well, happened to me. <laughs> my dad is like that, but my dad doesn't actually really cook very much. Like okay. He will cook if he has to cook. But even as someone who now has been doing this for a job for almost 20 years, I will go into my mom and dad's kitchen, and my dad will be like, are you sure, are you sure about is that? How, is that how you want to chop that? <laughs> Oh, and then it'll be like, I think, I think those potatoes need a little bit longer. I'm not sure you've done enough for us. He's just like, I think he wants to be involved in the process. Um, and I think that's his way of kind of like sort of, um, you know, getting involved. But yeah. not that useful. Not that useful. Thank you, Man's Yeah, amazing. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. Okay, I'm going to ask you the same nonsense questions I ask okay. everyone. Um, well, a selection of them. What's one of the worst looking but best tasting things you've ever eaten? Oh, worst looking but best tasting things I've ever eaten. Um, that's a great question. I always think like, uh, always think like a, a, the inside of a roasted aubergine. Mm. it's you know it's got a very kind of snot like quality yeah um and when yeah (laughs) that's exactly the word and when i write my next book i will definitely be describing it as mucal i think could you please yeah yeah it's an appetizing word um so (laughs) but yeah when you scrape that when you're doing a Mm. baba ganoush or whatever you do with your you know barbecued aubergines which you know it's not something that everyone cooks all the time, but I cook them a fair bit. Yeah, there is yeah. something about this sort of like, it's That's very back of the throat, isn't it? example. Um, yeah. Really amazing Lebanese restaurant. I live in Catford in South East London. There's an amazing mm. place called Feyrouz, which I love giving a shout out to, which is apparently is a, a Lebanese pop singer. It's named oh. after, but it's the best bubble ganoush I've ever had from there. Oh, I've got to get down there. Yeah, it does look murky. Yeah, there is a, there's, it's also like that grage. It's like a yeah. perfect, it's a perfect Pantone. If Farron Ball ever do. I was going to say, grage sounds so Farron Ball. <laughs> Maybe they should call it Baba Ganoush. Yes. That would be, uh, yeah, Farron oh, Ball's new shade, Baba Ganoush. Yeah, You're let's so suggest right. it. Yeah, if you had you choosing their colour names, it would be called Bubba Ganoush. If they had me, it'd be called Mucal Grage. And, um, and you would be selling a lot more paint for them than me. Um, <laughs> are, there, are there any food? I, I think I always assume that people who work in food love all food, but is there any foods that you hate? Is there especially any foods 
that you hate that most people love or vice versa? Um, this is a really controversial one. Okay. That, well, I don't like Nutella. <gasps> which oh. I don't think most people can understand. Yeah. It, if you want to end the call now. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, something's wrong with the line. <laughs> I, and I can't, um, it's hard to hear you. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I just... It's one thing that I think is universally liked. Yeah. I'm not a fan of hazelnuts. Mm-hmm. They give me like a weird sort of like fizzy reaction when I eat them. I don't know why. Oh, that um, sounds like something that's totally involuntary and genetic. Like, yeah. So I think it's, it's like a reaction. reaction. I think some people are allergic to nuts with skins. So like right. hazelnuts, walnuts. And my first job as a chef at a restaurant called Daphne's in Kensington, which was, fun fact... Princess Diana's favourite restaurant, so you can imagine the vibe. Um, And my first job there was on the sort of salad section. So one of my jobs was to roast the hazelnuts and the walnuts and then individually kind of rub the sort of outer skin off each one. It was meditative at best and, uh, yeah, yeah, panic-inducing at worst. Um, And um, so I I realised then, because I used to get, like, really itchy hands... um, So I think, yeah. So I think it's it's obviously the hazelnut thing which gives me the knee-jerk reaction Fair to Nutella. Um, but I want to like it because I feel like it's one of those things that people are just like evangelical about. I've got um, friends who eat it with a spoon and who've... Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, uh, and I associate it with uh, like childhood holidays to France. Mm. I yeah, remember we could only get it. it in France. And when you could only like get it in France, yeah. yeah. He loves it. He had it for the first time, actually, this half term when we went on holiday. And we stayed in this place where they had little, like, tiny oh, packets yes. of it. Like the and I'd find him, like... spreads. Oh, yeah, exactly. On Well, he got the selection boxes as well. He had his first try of Cocoa oh, Pops. Yes, he was going wild. It was Cocoa Pops and Nutella for breakfast. I was like, oh, it's holiday. Go for you it. Just go for it. Have yeah. what you like. And we'd go. It was really hot on half term. And we'd kind of get to the beach. And I'd find, like, in his little swimming shorts, he'd just, like, <laughs> snuck in a little pack of Nutella each <laughs> And then on the beach, I'd like to see him, like, you know, sort of behind a rock. Just, <laughs> just dab it. It was amazing. Just dabbing the Nutella. Just dabbing the Nutella from this little carton. And then he sort of pop it back in, and one day he got a lovely big Nutella pocket. But anyway, oh. good luck to him. I think, you know, fantastic. Those, good those, on him. like, yeah, I would. Oh, I have a lot I, of respect I, I, to him for that. Actually, yeah, I really yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. It's a nut- Nutella on the beach doesn't get much better than that if you're five. Good I don't him. think. No, it doesn't. And actually, it's much better with my son. His pockets are always full of stones, shells, or more recently, really mangy bird feathers. But like we we live in <laughs> this isn't like a nice holiday thing that happens in Cap. So it'll be like a skanky old pigeon. <laughs> Gross old tufty pigeon feather. Oh my god! I think bag from school. Get what are you keeping them for? Skanky. Get some Nutella in there. um, Your son and my son Dylan would get on because Dylan's exactly the same. He loves stone sticks and feathers. And for some reason, I think the first time we found a feather, I sort of obviously made a big deal of it. And I said, "Oh, isn't it amazing?" La 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 la. You know. And so now he gives the feathers to me as a gift. Yeah, yeah, so like, a like, pet, like a pet would. Yeah. I got you this feather, and it's all exactly the same because we're over in Hackney, so it's not like you know it's lovely Cotswolds nice feathers. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's not a peacock's feather. It's, no, they're yeah. real. They're grot bag feathers. So, um, so yeah, but I, I still think they're all to... into that kind of thing. I don't know if you had to endure any homeschooling, but we had a one kid in my son's class kept sort of getting the teacher's attention and, the, and their parent was saying oh to the teacher could it, they want to show their what they found to the class and that and the, I, I think the teacher must have already known what it was because they were like mm, yeah yeah okay maybe at the end of this class may, yeah maybe in a minute and then eventually they showed it and it was like a it was just a massive dead bird and they just showed it on this microsoft oh. teams and all the four and five girls oh. were like wow and you could just see all the parents behind them going, oh, oh, oh. oh god i want you to love nature but not that much god, yeah no, I mean, a dead yeah. bird yeah dead yeah. animals i struggle with i've got to say yeah well you've been a 
a great playing hand in the vegetarian revolution. No wonder you're not dead keen to have a look at a corpse of a crow or whatever it was. Bloody hell. Um, talk, talk to me about eating growing up. I don't know where you grew up or anything like that. And um, Were you ever fussy as a kid? Anything um, like that? I don't think I was really very fussy, no. I grew up in originally in Birmingham. And then we actually went to California where my auntie lived for a few years. So we had a few kind of very sunny years in California. And then we moved back sort of just outside London. So um, get an American accent for a bit. uh, I think I was, well, I think a tiny bit, but I was, I was young. um, And yeah, no, it went away. I also didn't get, get a Brummie accent, which I'm sort of slightly sad about because I love a Brummie accent. Um, But my mum and dad have got, have got, have got, you know, they're, they're flying the flag, so. Um, but yeah, it, it, so food growing up was, you know, my my mom. It wasn't. I wasn't like a sort of stand at the stove next to my mom and learn all her recipes. I think um, it was very much a. You know, my mom didn't really. She didn't really love cooking that much. I think she was sort of more like right, get it done you know, it, get it on the table sort of thing. It wasn't something that was laboured over. Um, but I think what my mum and dad did, which was brilliant, was when they saw that I had this kind of desire to cook, they sort of bought me all the cookbooks, bought me lots of ingredients and allowed oh, wow. me kind of the freedom to kind of like cook off family dinners and stuff like that. So, no, I wasn't fussy. I think I ate most things. I think, you know, my mum definitely did the kind of, um, you know, tried to do the sort of no sugar you know, mm. lots of kind of like Holland and Barrett sort of like 80s jams, which essentially were not jams. They were just yeah. boiled down sort of dried apricots oh um, that you couldn't even spread on your toast. So yeah. um, there was a lot of that. And then I think it hit a point where I think my mom just, me and my sister had obviously like, you know, press ganged her so much for sugar that she just sort of gave in. Um, <laughs> and, and me and my sister went sugar mad for quite a few years. Yeah. I remember there was a point when my sister, who was even more in love with sugar than I was, used to get like four or five mini Mars bars, put them in a cup, put them in the microwave for like 10 oh. seconds so they were melted and then eat them with a spoon. Oh, God, um, and... <laughs> I mean, it was exceptional. It was, yeah. you know, very forward thinking for like a yeah. nine-year-old. <laughs> yes. um, but yeah, I think when my mom got wind of that, she was like, yeah, I think we've got to put a stop to the old liquid Mars bar. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, me and my sister have always had a really strong kind of connection around food, which obviously started with with mainly sugar, um, but has continued ever since. That's um, lovely. So yeah, it, whilst we weren't a family that I think sort of, you know, necessarily laboured over, you know, the love of cooking or inherited recipes. We were definitely always a family that sat around the table and, you know, always a family that loved like, you know, discovering new foods and going to restaurants and all of that, all of that kind of thing. So, yeah. That's a bit lovely. How nice to hear. I think it's so funny. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say, and they and the line was towed beautifully between sugar and no sugar. <laughs> like it just it just has never happened to anyone ever in the history of all childhoods, has it? Yeah. I had I had my, my parents were not on the same page. Um and my dad was away and would come home at weekends with masses of of sweets and sugar. But and his mum as well was like a Austrian and she would I my parents, she was a feeder, basically, but my parents drew the line when I was two and they found out she'd give me a bowl of jam with a spoon as a snack. Um, <laughs> I mean, you would have been... Like, it's you, homemade. Yeah, you would have um, definitely been part of the Mini Mars Bar Club in that I would case. have been in the Mini Mars Bar Club. Whereas my other nana, because my my mum's dad was diabetic, she went at, like, none and zero on the sugar and, mm. and she did a lot of my childcare she brought okay. like spent a lot of time with her and I, I i've really recently had a a funny memory of there being so little to like zero sugar in her house that um me and sometimes my cousins would regularly um pretend we had a terrible sore throat because 
we could we would get sugar in the form of a tune. Remember tunes? <laughs> yeah. Really rank black. That lovely tea. mentholated like, sugary mentholated hit. Mm. But it was sugar, wasn't it? So it was <laughs> yeah. still like Well yeah, I think yeah. I, I think I used to yeah intense. say a, for a strepsil. I'd try and get yeah. a strepsil off my dad because there used to be some strepsils in the uh, medicine cabinet for emergencies. Gee, um, yeah, so no cherry was my oh, favourite. Oh the strepsil, cherry right? strepsils were really good actually. Really nice. Really Really, really, really good. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm still. I still. You know, if I've got a sore throat, sometimes I still still treat myself to a strep. So, yeah, it is. I think I. I I haven't had one as an adult. Whenever I get a waft of a stranger's breath, even that's been so long, hasn't it? It's been close enough to a stranger's (laughs) breath. And I suppose it's been the summer every time we've been. I smell cherry strepsil. That little little nostalgia (laughs) hit of a stranger's. What about the locket though? The locket. Oh, that feels like a level up. And and the locket that the or the or 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 hall soother. That feels like a, an absolute acknowledgement that what we're doing here actually is having a sweetie. <laughs> the ones with like the liquid inside, that yeah. felt like, oh, well, if we can persuade Nana to get them in, we are quids in and we can leave all the Mars bars and the mugs alone. <laughs> We've covered every base. <laughs> yum, yum. Say scrum diddly yumptious. And then you can be in my podcast. This was like a fun thing to ask a chef, but what's the swankiest thing you've ever eaten? The swankiest thing I've ever eaten? I feel like I've been quite lucky to eat some quite swanky things, but um, I don't know. Swanky isn't really my... It's not really really my favourite, you know? It's not... I think... I, I I much prefer a sort of, you know, I'd take a bowl of pasta over a Michelin-starred meal. Really? Any day of the week. Yeah, I just don't, I don't know. I, I appreciate the craft and I yes. appreciate the kind of um, attention to detail. And, you know, when I have been, you know, lucky enough to have a look in some of those kitchens, it blows my mind. And I think that, yeah. you know, absolute artists, but it's just, it's not the food I want to eat. And it's not, and it's not. It's obviously not food I want to eat at home, but it's also not really the food I want to eat when I'm out in a restaurant. I want people, you know, I like people sort of leaning over bowls and, you know, yeah. piling stuff onto plates, and you know, I like this mixed with that. So it's yeah. But I, so I guess you know, one meal I did really enjoy as a young chef was when I went to to, to Heston Blumenthal's Fat Duck, like back oh, in the wow. day. Um, yeah, and that. And I think that was when he was sort of just sort of like, you know, he he just sort of, you know, exploded onto the scene. And and that I found quite amazing. I went there with, you know, a sommelier friend and another chef friend. And wow. the sommelier then like, you know, we literally, we, we were just training chefs. So we'd saved up like, you know, lots and lots of wages to go and pay yeah. for this meal. And, um, you know, but, so we went for it. And my friend who was a sommelier kind of like picked us amazing wines to go with the meals. Um, and I just, I love the way he thought. I love the idea of bringing your own sommelier out for you. <laughs> I mean, you That's always have cool. to bring your That's own sommelier. That's probably the swankiest yeah. thing. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was, I, 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 it did actually, I thought the way he dealt with food was really clever. The first thing you got in the meal was like two jellies. One was orange, one was red. And this, it said there's one orange jelly and one beetroot jelly. And the orange one was made of beetroot and the red one was made of blood orange. So it was like immediately kind of like flipping around like your sensory stuff. And I think that's what he does so amazingly, which kind of made that swanky meal to me really interesting. Yes. Um, so yeah. Oh, it does sound amazing. It's on my bucket list to go there. Yeah, it was, it was, it. it was amazing. And I think, you know, I, I, I think chefs like that, you know, they, they kind of hone their craft in a completely and cooking in a completely different way, which I will, I will never understand. <laughs> well, yeah. And it's, it's that thing where you're like, well, you've carved a, and then you'll get, and then you'll get lots of people doing sort of copying of people that, Oh, it happens in comedy where you get people with a very distinctive voice who do something very mm, alternative mm, mm. then that becomes a curve that gets followed or sort of or emulated a little yeah. bit or or people emulate them for a bit before they find their own voice it's fascinating with that I think yeah I think and I think that's what happens with anything sort of pioneering yeah. isn't it and 
yeah, I think if you're being copied, then, you know, it's probably just people saying. It's a compliment. Yeah, yes, exactly. Absolutely. Take you're it great. as a compliment. Um, it, you don't have to answer this, but I ask everybody, would you say you've always had a relatively easy relationship with eating or has it ever been complicated at any point? Um, no, I, I feel really lucky to have had a pretty reasonable uh, relationship with food all my life. Definitely, I think when I was in secondary school, I remember feeling like I was like putting on a bit of weight and I'm not, I'm not a skinny person. I will never be a skinny person. I actually don't particularly have a desire to ever be a skinny person. Um, uh, but I think at that point in kind of like puberty, when lots of, you know, when, when bodies are changing and yeah, some people yeah, yeah. are changing much quicker than others, it felt, it felt a bit weird. And I remember just deciding I was going on a diet. So I sort of just had uh, rice cakes and peanut butter and apples for lunch for about, no joke, about six months. Um, <laughs> but I was absolutely fine with it and it didn't seem yeah. to sort of develop into anything else in um, my head. But now it feels quite sort of, because I wasn't overweight, um, yeah. it just feels quite sad to me that at that point as a sort of 14, 13, 14-year-old 14 girl, I put myself on a diet. Yeah. Um, uh, but no, I feel luckily my mum has always, you know, sort of strongly instilled in us a kind of, um, you know, a, a very strong ethos of, you know, loving our bodies and, 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 and you know, is, is, is a pretty, you know, uh, she's pretty right on with all of that. She's, you know, she's a, That's a, so a cool. real feminist in lots of ways. She, she's amazing, yeah. my mum. But strangely, you know, my you know, me and my sister are two and a half years apart. We're very similar in lots of ways. You know, when we pick up the phone, no one can actually tell which one of us, you know, it is. Our intonation's the same. We're really, yeah. we're really, you know, we're really, really close. And, you know, her relationship with eating has not been as easy by any stretch yeah. of the imagination. Um, and she's definitely struggled, you know, it, it, it you know, she's struggled in lots of different ways. And, you know, that's her story that I'm not going to tell. Yeah, but, yeah, of um, course, of course. But, um, you know, it's just very interesting to see, you know, two sisters from from growing up in the same family and, you know, with a mother who's always instilled, you know, this really healthy attitude around food and eating and body and actually really how how many outside influences are obviously, obviously at play with that as well, be it friends, be it media, be it, you know, um, you know, I don't know, partners, be it whatever. Um, yeah. So it's, it, it's, an, it's, a, it, it's a deeply nuanced thing, I think. And, you know, something that I feel, I just feel really, really like it's important to sort of, step, you know, shout from the rooftops about the kind of absolute joy and absolute brilliance and absolute goodness of, food and connecting with food and feeding your mm. body well because um you know there's so much chat about out there isn't there about you know the superfoods and smoothies and spirulinas oh, thankfully so thankfully yeah. that seems to have like settled down over the last few years and it's not it's well, not yeah, as hyped the as it was voice has got louder or whatever like it is yeah. funny isn't it and it does feel like oh, oh it's so lovely to hear it's so lovely to hear like a really positive experience in, in terms of parental influence and stuff like that and exactly you put it so beautifully in terms of yeah it is deeply nuanced so the noises in the world are going to affect everyone at different times in different ways and who mm -hmm. knows what goes on and it is so and that is such a hard age I think early teens and puberty and especially I think for girls I think it's just you you desperate at that age to sort of car carve your own identity but equally to not be noticed at all like you sort of want to be absolutely like, you want to right, sort of you want like, be number yeah. one out there and also yeah. completely blend in exactly you want to wear that crazy band t-shirt but you want all your friends to be wearing exactly the same crazy original exactly. brand t-shirt yeah are we like... wearing that one tonight can I just check if we're all definitely wearing are we all wearing Guns N' Roses yeah. or, or yeah. what um... yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and actually we were all going on a diet we were all yeah, like, yeah we were all doing that then um, regardless of what size mm. body we were in mm. at that age it was just what we yeah but um but yeah I do yeah. just thinking about that as well I do I think that point was hard but I also think the point after having my son who's five yeah. now that also felt quite hard because I think you know there's a point after that where your body just doesn't really feel like your own you know yes. you've done this ginormous bonkers thing of like producing another human 
um, which I found, you know, I loved, but also, you know, I did, I was, did feel a little bit like Sigourney Weaver and Alien at points. So I was like, there's another human inside my body. <laughs> going on? And then, you know, when that baby's out there and, you know, you deal with a kind of early kind of like, you know, craziness and intensity and, yeah. you know, brilliance, but, you know, really hardcoreness of motherhood. Um, yeah, I definitely felt like I had a slightly strained relationship with my body then because I was like, what is this? Like, where, you know, totally. I, almost I cared so much less yeah. because of what it had gone through and what had happened, but also I sort of like didn't recognize it. And so yeah. um, I think, you know, the last few years actually have been been a time of me just being like, you know, getting to know like almost like a new body and yeah. accepting that again. Oh God, yeah, absolutely, and 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 realizing what a blur those first couple of years were actually, and then it's quite a slow. Well, for me, it's been quite a, quite a slow reconnect. But um, isn't that funny? I think then, it, yeah, I mean, times of extreme change, especially change that you weren't, you you, you don't have the option to have much control over. They just whether or not you would have wanted control over them, but where it just happened, puberty, pregnancy. I think the pandemic has been another thing like that for lots of people because we just had to stay in for a lot of mm. a year mm-hmm. you know and and that does you know that affects bodies and it makes all sorts of neuroses it changes how you perceive yourself and with pregnancy I had a weird thing where during pregnancy I and I I got much much bigger I am um, for the first time ever like I loved it like I was just getting my mm. kit off in the swimming room changing room like, totally like, amazing yeah. yeah I got a baby in it but then, and I thought oh maybe this is all my all my issues with my appearance which uh, I've learned this you know I've done so much work on my relationship with eating and I thought oh well that will fix my relationship with my appearance and it's not that simple but in pregnancy I was like well maybe I'm all sorted and then about yeah, between sort of four and eight months after I'd had my son, it all came back. And then because I thought mm. it was all sort of fixed because my body had this purpose and this mm. excuse or whatever to not be judged with mm. anything mm. other than positivity mm. and all. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But when it did all fall away, it sort of hit me like a train a bit. You're like, oh, fuck. I thought I had that down. Yeah. But, um, but at least it sowed the seeds of something I knew was possible. And then yeah. you've got, well forever long after that to, to yeah. get back out again yeah yeah. Well, yeah yeah it's a big big shifts big yeah, shifts big shifts and are hard to navigate yeah it's yeah. i think it's funny as a woman isn't it there's almost like these these points of like there's these points of crux there's these points of transition and learning and change and you know you think you know everything about yourself and that's not necessarily you know motherhood it could be you know a million different things for a million different women um but yeah it does seem to be these 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 sort of little gremlins whatever gremlins we have in our life re you know they resurface don't they at at these sort of you know crux points or points of stress and and yeah you 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 thought you dealt with it all and it's like oh no that little friend (laughs) is back again (laughs) thank you (laughs) yeah yeah, I just put you on ice. I thought I'd back, I thought I'd got rid of you, but you were just waiting in that cupboard. Um, okay, some very silly, quick, fiery type okay. things. Okay. Um, hangover, what are you having? Oh, I am having um, chocolate milk. Oh, lovely. Because oh, you know what? I love chocolate milk. And once I was working with a nutritionist on a program who told me that it's got exactly the right profile of sugar, fat, and protein to um, whip you out of a hangover. So I drink it guilt free, loads of it. I am <laughs> getting some in in readiness. Get some in. That sounds lovely. Uh, five second rule, obviously not at work, but five second rule, yes or no? Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. I'd go to sort of 10, 15 seconds at least. Great. Yeah. Lovely to hear. So yeah. lovely to hear. Um, and um, if there was literally no other option, would you eat a person? Uh, yeah. No, I would. Well, if there's no other option, I wouldn't kill a person no, no, to no. eat them. No. But if the only option left for sort of my survival and the survival of my family was yeah. that, I think it'd have to be a yes. Yes. 
And also you would have the skills to turn it into something delicious, I think. I mean, I'm, I think my skills with any type of uh, protein, sort of animal protein, have dissipated over the last 10 years. But I'm sure it's in there somewhere. It's It'll be there. It, you thought you'd banished it, but it turns out it was just in the cupboard all along in times of trauma. And there it is. Skill to cook an animal protein. Someone unplugs the Matrix and it turns out that really we're all actually mini eggs having our human lives projected into our mini egg brains and at first it's fun delicious even until we realize we're eating ourselves and we miss our loved ones and we miss everything we've ever known and it's the worst catastrophe ever imagined but luckily whoever did this has agreed to plug us back in with a memory wipe so that we think it was all a dream but now we have a deeper respect for the mighty mini egg weirdly an almost religious respect but they'll do that only if you and when it does have to be you and agree to read out every Enid Blyton book one after another without a break in 12 languages all whilst sitting on a swing which you have to continue to make swing throughout it sounds impossible but you did it you're a hero you save us all from um, the, the horror of reality as mini eggs um, you saved humankind as we've ever known it basically so you, your reward is the adulation of all people for all time and a place in history as a god um, but your reward in the moment is the feast of your dreams and bearing in mind you've been stuck on that swing reading out Enid in all the different languages it's taken hours that you're starving your hands weren't free you're so hungry <laughs> but it's the opposite of a last meal your reward in the moment is the feast of your dreams but it's the opposite of the last meal in the sense you couldn't be hungrier you couldn't be happier um, and I want this to be like a fantasy feast in the sense that I don't, I don't think it needs explaining to you, but I don't want any, like, don't give a shit about shame, really, not really about ethics. I don't want any health, mm. none of that. Yeah, Nothing has yeah, to be yeah, yeah, possible. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would love to know in that situation, what would you eat? What would you drink? And if there's a who with and where, you can have a who with and where oh. as well. Also a caveat, because I know what hard question this is to answer, that this is only your answer now. And yeah. were I to ask you, have asked you again in half an hour, I'm fully aware it could have been a different answer. And that's also fine. Okay, this is a great question. And I love that you chose mini eggs, because mini eggs, I think, are, I mean, I think they're my favourite chocolate. Me too. I, I used to be I, I, oh, so good. thrilled when they came to the shops. And I feel like you can sort of almost buy them all year round now. Um, so almost. Almost, the luster is slightly dimmed, but I still, I still love them. They taste amazing, but they smell. Yeah, they're, mm. they're like the fish and chip shop chips of the chocolate world. Yeah. There's something about the smell of them that just is like, yeah, does a I love them. Magic. I absolutely yeah. love them. And my, yeah, I try not sort of definitely not to keep them in the house during yeah. during Easter tide. Yeah. Um, it's very dangerous. Um, but um, so what would I start with? Well, I think I'd need something kind of immediate. Yeah. Um, because I would be so, so hungry. So I don't think I would want to sort of like sit down and go straight kind of into uh, a sort of big sit down meal. I think I'd need to like snuffle some stuff first. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, the thing I always really want to eat when I'm really hungry is crisps. I just want crisps, yeah. like ready. I love ready. I, I'm not like a flavor crisp person. I like a really nice, ready salted crisp. Mm. So I think I have some ready salted crisps. And for some reason, I'm thinking about um, like focaccia as well. Like, mm. really, you know, like really juicy, really olive oily. Almost like I think focaccia is like a good bread because it's almost like a combination between like a cake and a bread. Yes. Um, it's like a so it's like a spongy cakey yes. bread so I think I'd have like some crisps and focaccia and then maybe some like salty stuff so some like you know delicious like I love all those pickles so like some, mm. you know like some gherkins some olives like all of that so I'd have that as a kind of like you know just sort of like got off the swing you know just kind of like filling myself up with yeah. a little bit of fun um, and with that I think I'd have something I'd have something like Fizzy and lovely. I love um, I love like Moscato wines. You know mm. those kind of like slightly sweet wines. I think for a long time, you know, people thought of like Asti Spumanti. You know, I think that was in the eighties. <laughs> everyone kind of looked lovely, quite scornfully yeah. upon it. But um, those Moscato wines are a bit like Prosecco, but also sort of take taste like Schlur or some delicious yes. grape juice. Um, I would probably have a glass of that with it because it would counteract the kind of salty, 
brininess. Um, so I'd have that start off. Then I think I would have, I mean, it's very difficult to know because I always, in my head, I either go, when I think about like real kind of like depth of my stomach kind of want of food, I either go towards like pasta or kind of, um, or kind of like Indian food. Um, But I think it would probably be like South Indian food. I think it would be like a South Indian, like Mm. tali type thing, you know, where you get loads and loads and loads of different curries. You get the buttery kind of paratha bread that's all in the the little twirl um, and that's kind of cooked in lots and lots of butter. You know, I'd have, you know, a couple of dals, a delicious curry. I'd have, you know, some samosas, some pakoras, like all of the good kind of crunchy, fried, delicious stuff. Um, I'd have lemon rice. I'd have all the pickles. Um, There's a great restaurant in Stoke Newington near me that does amazing pickles it's called rasa and it does this lemon pickle which is like lemon mustard seeds chili and curry leaves which is just oh fuck it's kind of sweet but so punchy and lemony and wild and delicious my mouth did a big water when you said lemon rice and that's just sort of (laughs) made it do it more yeah 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 so i think that's what i'd have i'd have like a big table of like all of these things i could just sort of pile up and dig into um and then for dessert i would actually i think have the dessert we had at our wedding which i think is my all-time greatest dessert i've cooked it a few times since for like supper clubs and stuff and it is meringues but i make the meringues with like a mixture of like white and brown sugar so they've got this almost like multi character and we got married in july so it was like cherry season so we had loads of cherries some of them were like you know slightly sort of you know, marinated with some mm. citrus and a little bit of booze. And then we had some fresh ones as well. And then we got whipped cream, which we whipped with vanilla. But we didn't stop there. We rippled it with like um, like a really vanilla-y kind of custard. You know, those thin, oh, posh wow. French anglaise custards. Wow. So we rippled the cream with custard. And then we dotted sort of the meringue, we made it into a big tower. So we dotted the meringues with all the cherries and the fresh cherries and the cream. And then we like dollop bits of lemon curd in as well. For, like, oh. Just bits of like, and I mean, it, it is and was the most delicious oh thing I can ever remember eating. God. So I would just have a personal tower of that. Yes, I think. everybody get their own tower. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Oh. That's um, wow. What that um yeah, um that sounds really good. So that would be it. That would be it. How lovely. I really want to make myself that meal now. Maybe I'll just yeah. go and sit on the swing outside and go down the park for a bit, swing myself <laughs> back <laughs> swing yourself, and swing yourself into a tower and run. <laughs> oh heaven. What uh-huh. an amazing answer. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, I've loved it so much. It's been so nice to chat to you and to yeah. You're awesome. Yeah. Thank you. What an absolute guest of my dreams. Follow Anna immediately. She's on both Instagram and Twitter as at we underscore are underscore food. Her latest book is called One Pot Pan Planet and it's extraordinary. And she's got a brand new online cooking course called The Vegetarian Kitchen. Everything that I've just mentioned there, get it, have it, do it, and links to it all as ever are in the podcast notes. Um, She also has a load of bonus brilliant seasonal recipes on her website, which is annajones.co.uk. So have a look at that as well. Um, I really hope to see you on the 17th of July at the first Hoovering Live in a long time, a real life one with guests, Joe Brand and Jay Rayner, three expert eaters, uh, them two and me. Thank you very much. Possibly the most excited I've ever been about anything I've ever done for work ever. I really want to have you there with us. Uh, I'm on tour with my show Hench. I'm finishing my tour. There are still tickets in some places, including Sheffield and Manchester. There I think the evenings are sold out, but there's a matinee tickets. There's also a few tickets left in Bath and Bristol. Um, again, links on my website. See what's going on with that. Feel free to support the podcast with lovely reviews and recommendations or with cold hard money on ACAS supporter or Patreon. 
Patreon. Links to everything as ever in the podcast notes. Follow the podcast on social media at The Hoovering Pod. I'm on there too, at Jessica Foster I love it when you contact me. If you want to send me anything longer than a DM or a tweet, you can do that via, via email on my website, jessicafosterq.com. Huge thanks to Acast for hosting the podcast. Hoovering is produced by Emma Corsham and the music is by Mike Greenway. Until next week, happy hoovering. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.